and welcome to a new year and another new episode of Post Game Content. I'm Michael, your co-host or host, and I'm here with my co-host. I mean, I guess it's not technically incorrect either way. So I'd like to think of us both as co-hosts. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Fuck you, Max. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm here with Max. How you doing, man? I'm doing How's good. That? How are you feeling? I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, obviously, like, our last episode was released, released mid-December. It's been over a month since our last release, and you're just going to have to deal with the fact that it's been that long, because I don't even think Max has been home longer than 36 hours at, at one given point in time in the last couple months, so... It, um, yeah. Uh. <laughs> so, uh, our time to record has not been... Um, we have had a lot of it is what I'm trying to say. So you have to excuse that. But also, I think we're kind of preparing for a somewhat special episode for like January into February. Um, so what we wanted to do, today's episode is going to be a little different. Um, but before we jump into like today's episode on what we're doing and uh, how things, how the episode is going to flow. Uh, Max, what are you playing lately? What have you been, what have you been doing in your spare time? In my <laughs> spare time. So I've been, there's a couple of things. Um, I've been going back through Death Stranding for the first time since release, um, the director's cut edition, uh, mm -hmm. just to see what kind of changes are there. Um, and I'm, it's interesting. The, f the first time I played through, it took me a good 10 to 15 hours to really sink into it. And I think coming back to it after a couple of years... Um, like a long time. Yeah, it was 2019 when that game came out. Um, and but still having a sense of what the mechanics are and what your goals are has made me like fall back into that sort of like rhythm of the gameplay a lot quicker. Um, so I've really been enjoying that. Um, I also today uh made good on my word and picked up Quest 64 again. Um. Oh. Audible sigh. <laughs> and uh yeah, it's it's not a good game. Uh, <laughs> so here's the thing is I played it for two hours. I didn't enjoy one minute of that, but I did play it for two hours. So something's happening. I I don't know. Watch this space. Uh, it's entirely possible in the next episode I'll be like Quest 64 was an underrated masterpiece. I know, I know. <laughs> Listen, as I just a kid, I need to leave. I got to leave that door open just a little bit. I don't want to look like an asshole. That's all. Okay, I got. I got to say this: as a kid who was infinitely better at video games than I am now, mm -hmm. I can tell you, I played a lot more than two hours of that game, and I remember it being dog shit. So I got, I got some news for you. Post two hours, Max. I don't think it's going to get much better. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. You know what? I'm reserving judgment, apparently. Um, I've got a flight to Arizona coming up, and, um, you know, it, I'll, I'll probably play it on the flight. And if you don't hear about somebody trying to open up the emergency lock on a plane, <laughs> then you can assume that the experience is, uh, has improved somewhat. <laughs> All right, fine. I'll let you have that one. <laughs> well, uh, other than literally wasting your the screen life on your Steam Deck playing a 
god awful game. Any anything else other than Death Stranding and Quest sixty four? <laughs> nope. No, just the two big ones. <laughs> Um, I did uh, that's not technically true I do like occasionally boot up vampire survivors I know I'm late to that party Um, but that's you know it's a really good mindless game it's just enough brain power I feel like where generally I have it booted up while I'm listening to something else or half watching something else Um, and I'm making progress through it and and enjoying it Um, but I, I don't know. At some point, I think I need to sit down and really give it my full attention, and I haven't done that yet. I don't think I'm going to do that with Vampire Survivors, and I have a good. I think I have a good reason for it. And like, there are so many good rogues out there. I know mm-hmm. Vampire Survivors is like mindless, which is fine. Like, I'm, I'm not judging anyone for playing this game because I've put multiple hours into it myself. No, but yeah. like. Once I got to the point where I was able to like get 20 minutes into an episode or episode into a, a level, and then I mm. found out like about garlic and about time stop, and then I like figured out my own strategy for winning and literally became unstoppable with like every character. Yeah, I went through each map with one character and I was like, meh, okay, this is enough for me. Like, and I didn't, I didn't really feel a need to like keep going. I, I, I'm a completionist with a lot of stuff, but games like that just don't get it for me. So, uh, plus I'm just so like, I'm so inundated with games I want to play, like that I just don't have time for. So cool. If I sit down on the toilet and I have my iPad on me, yeah, I might boot it up, but I'm not going for like to, to get everything done. You know what I mean? But good game. Like I, I could talk about Vampire Survivors for a little bit. All the mechanics of that game and just the, the the natural progression that it offers you is some of the best you'll find and especially what essentially is a mobile game. So Yeah. That's that's a good point and something that I I've been thinking a lot about is that it definitely feels like it was mobile forward. Um yeah. but you know, you can pick it up with no ads or any of the bullshit. And it makes me trying to think of like, you know, I bet there's a lot of stuff on the app store right now where if they weren't so heavily invested in like monetization and that kind of bullshit would probably be fundamentally good games. Yeah, I agree. Um, so how about you? what have you been playing? So not a whole lot, honestly. Like I haven't had a lot of time to jump into like anything crazy lately. Um, mm-hmm. Just a few things. I've uh, been playing Signalis uh, at your and yeah. multiple other people's recommendation. Um you're right. It is right up my alley. It's a, if you haven't played Signalis, if you take like old school Resident Evil, like not the remakes, like still maps and paper, paper backgrounds and stuff like that, and then put it like in space, like that's essentially what Signalis is. I'm not far enough in to really know like the story and really understand exactly what's happened yet, but I can tell you the vibe of the game is literally me. So, which I'm pretty sure is what you said. So, um, it's just, it's right up my alley. It's, it's slow paced too, which, you know, I, I can take the time to explore areas, at least in the beginning of the game and where I'm at, uh, without feeling the need to be rushed. Um, which is good because I bought it on switch so I can, you know, pause, put down and don't feel the need to like really rush to get back to it. Um, but it's definitely one of those games that like leaves me frustrated at points and times when I can't find puzzles and stuff. And I just know it's something dumb and little. Yeah. Just like, like I said, old Resident Evil games. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, so far I'm having a really good time with it. Um, 
if I'm not busy at night and I'm on my computer, I'll boot up Streets of Rogue because that game is just a freaking blast if you've never played that. <laughs> um, I think I've told you about it once before. I may even brought it up on the show, but it's a lot of fun. Um, I've heard, yeah, so. you've brought it up to me and I've seen um, a couple of YouTubers that I follow who have who've talked at length about how good Streets of Rogue is. It's surprising. Like, it's one of those games that just grows on you. Like, my brother Daniel doesn't like it at all. But, mm-hmm. like, he's only played it with us. And, like, a lot of people try to brute their brute force their way through that game. But, like, there's so many different options and play styles of that game. And you can be a brute or you can be a sneaky character. Or you can be, you know, a, like a technique enforcer. And I use that in, like, a very broad sense because that's a very broad terminology. But, like, just a lot of different ways to get things done and that's the that's the beauty of that game is it's not about getting to the end it's about getting things done and then getting out so um, right just a just a big fan of it um but yeah signalist that and then i recently i forgot to mention this i recently went through all of skyward sword because i had never done it before (laughs) um I could not play it on Wii because I'm trash and did not feel like waggling the Wii remote around everywhere to play that game. Um, I think that's fair. I think that is a fair assessment. (laughs) And I gave it a good on a shot. I really did. At the motion plus, I tried, but like I got all the way to the battle in the end of the forest temple with gear him in the first encounter and like just could not beat that boss because it it's not that I died. I just couldn't get anywhere. It felt like the battle right. went on forever because he was blocking all my attacks and it was just garbage. So um, with the re-release, I bought it launch day, didn't play it until mm, two weeks ago, so which has been over a year and a half. Um, and I have to say, I am glad I waited because the dungeons of that game were a nigh waste of time and <laughs> it just it just isn't that great. The story and the combat with the improved controls are probably some of the best. I loved the story in the game. Mm-hmm. But the dungeons weren't good, and I made this argument whenever we talked about Breath of the Wild um, and other shows. Our dungeons are what make good Zelda games, and the dungeons just weren't weren't good. Sorry, Russ. Sorry to disappoint you. Uh, the pirate ship sucked, just like the rest of them did. But the ancient cistern was good. It had like a very good like Zelda feel the essentially the water temple um in that oh, game gotcha. like a very classic uh Zelda feel but a lot of like the the weapons that you'd use and the tools that you pick up still had that like gimmicky feel of like having to use quote unquote motion controls which right. they substituted out motion controls for skate controls with the pro controller um so I don't yeah. know. It just—it was still really gimmicky, but it was—it was much better experience this time around. And and don't get me wrong, like it's still a great game. It's still worth playing um, for like the that enhanced combat. But um, and the boss battle was fucking awesome. And I'm still convinced that Demise will make a return in Skyward Sword or um, Tears of the Kingdom. So we'll see. That would be interesting. Yeah, I. I know I haven't made it all the way through Skyward Sword. I can't remember exactly where I dropped off of it. Um, I, it's interesting to try to like create an origin point for all of the Zelda mythology. You know, I um, I'll reserve judgment on it. You know, I'll end up playing it eventually. I'm sure. Um, 
but I almost feel like a lot of that stuff is a little bit more powerful when it's unspoken, you know? Mm. Like, it's just sort of like an unwritten rule that there's always going to be a Link, there's always going to be a Zelda, and there's always, like, these sort of, like, universal constants. And mm -hmm. leaving a little air of mystery behind that, I think, would be more powerful. But, again, can't can't reserve judgment, or can't deal out judgment on it until I've played it, I suppose. Yeah, I'm not going to get into talking about it too much just because, mm. like, we could cover it some other time or something like that if if, mm. if and when you ever finish it. But, like, there's, like I said, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of nuance to that discussion. So, uh, sure. well, we could talk about it on the Discord if anyone's listening and is like, oh, hold up now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's where we're at. I can't believe I almost got through what I've been playing without talking about that because that was like the majority of my gaming for like two weeks straight so yeah um, but anyway so back to today why we're here while you're here listening um you have if you're listening it has been nearly a calendar year since our first episode release we've had excuse me 10 episodes released to date um and while we know we haven't had a full 12 episodes uh, yet we would like, we think now would be the best time to kind of do a retrospect, a year in review of post-game content. Because here's the deal, Max. Here's the deal, listener. We have spent a year every month bringing up a game that we've played, we've loved, we've loved for years. Um, and a lot of those, like when I was listening to these episodes, I would think, wow, there was like this one thing that I like really wish I'd brought up and discussed or this, there were these other points that like, now that I've thought about it more, I'd like to like correct something. My opinions on some of these games have changed. And while yes, that's what the discord is there for. I think it's important that, you know, while, because it doesn't always lend way to like having those good conversations there. I think it's important to fire back and, take us take everyone back and just revisit some of those conversations um just from a, a more retrospective point of view um think it you think you can roll with that max you think it's a good idea i think that's a great idea you know it's it's a good way to cap off the year and you're right as i'm looking back through the list of everything we've covered you know um not only have my opinions changed on some of these games but also you know there's there's other similar games that I wish we had had a point of reference to or things that I've played since that like, oh, I think this could really inform the discussion that we had. So, yeah, I think this is a great idea. Okay. Well, it yeah, would be so... crazy if I immediately was like, no, that idea is dog shit, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> fuck Metroid Dread and fuck you, listener. <laughs> Cut the episode. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I've... No, I'm I'm glad you are excited for this. I know I've been excited for this. We've talked about it for a little bit. Um, and then I know we have some fun things planned for the next, I don't want to call it seasons because it's not really like a seasonal break thing, but like the next year ahead of us in uh, with post-game content. So it's for been sure. fun. Um, before we get into like the retrospective portion of it, I just want to say thank you like to everyone out there. It's been awesome to like watch the show grow and like Max and I would constantly chat about like the metrics or like how many hours of people will listen. Like y'all have wasted over a hundred 
thousand hours listening to our shows. Get a life. So So much nonsense. (laughs) I just never thought Um, in my life that read people would want to book read one book <laughs> maybe that's what we should do max at the beginning of every every episode we talk about what books we've been reading just we're so people lose know people. that we <laughs> yeah just so people know that we we're trying to make an effort to be better people <laughs> yeah exactly exactly what's one skill that you picked up since we last talked <laughs> actually funny enough before this episode, Max and I did talk about a book that I'm reading. So um, there's that. <laughs> and, uh, well, you could find that in the outtakes. Um, but yeah, so uh, the Discord's been growing. Episodes, listens have been growing. Thank you so much for the continued growth. I hope this episode doesn't isn't off-putting. Um, just a fair warning, Max and I are going into this knowing that there's going to be some conversation that might likely... Um, trigger some people might likely <laughs> upset some folks regarding some of the some of the stuff that we're we're going to talk about um and i don't some of the stuff probably won't necessarily be a hot take and some of the stuff is just going to be continued appreciation of what we've already poured so much love into so um i'm excited to i'm excited to jump into it and i think the format of the episode just to set expectations for people who are you know wanting to skip ahead if you found post game content and really only liked one of our episodes and want to jump forward we'll just we're just going to talk about these in the order of release just to make it easiest on ourselves and uh just go from oldest oldest episodes to newest episodes so um way back in the way back it, it has been over a year since we recorded that first episode. I think it was the weekend of Thanksgiving that you and I got together and recorded our first episode for uh, Metroid Dread, Max. Yeah, it was. It was not that long after release. (laughs) Yeah, it came out, uh, I think it was mid-October, because that's when I went to to Florida, and I didn't get to play for the first week because I was enjoying family time. How lame is that? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So... Much to my dismay, I was forced to roam the hot, sweaty streets of Disney, um, which <laughs> would have rather been playing Metroid. I hate Disney. I'm sorry. Anyone out there is like, I love Disney World. Good for you, but it is not for me. Like, I just, I just rather, I want a staycation versus a vacation. So I get you. But, but anyway, uh, so Metroid Dread. Um, I'll be the first to say this. My opinions on this game have not drastically swayed in one in one direction of the other. I think it's pretty... We made it pretty clear when we played this game and we talked about it that um, it just holds a very special place in not just like Metroid games, but just Metroid the Metroidvania genre as a whole. So um, I'm very familiar with what we've said in this episode for reasons you'll probably find out later. Um, mm-hmm. But as as time goes on, I just ha- I just have like such a, a reverent appreciation for this game and like hold it at like the highest of high esteems. Um, yeah, it like it's you're about sort to of a, something. <laughs> well, it's sort of a um, it's rare, I think, for a video game series to produce a game like Metroid. Dread, which I think is like, you know, like we talked about the the most refined, probably the best example of what a Metroid game should be. Um, 
that doesn't happen all that often. And like the fact that we got this, that not only polished all of the mechanics that we've seen in the series up until this point to Amir Sheen, but also added a lot of new ideas to the table. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of, I think it deserved more of a moment in the spotlight than it really got. Like mm -hmm. for you and I, this was a huge release for the year. Um, and it feels like because the game is kind of on the short side, I, you know, it, it just didn't stick in people's memory the way that I, I think it really deserves. Yeah. And I, there's a couple of things I want to bring up there. And the first one is just a, a very literal point about like the forgettability of this game it's when this game came out, everyone was like, oh my gosh, Metroid Dread, it's it's fantastic. And it had a really great reception. People were like, this is the best selling Metroid game of all time. Mm. However, look at the install base this thing had. I'm not saying it wasn't great. Obviously, I love this game. Uh, I'm not saying that like people didn't think it was great. It had a great reception across the board, but and it's as no, it's not a mark on Metroid. Just typically Metroid games are an underperforming staple of Nintendo. True. Um, Absolutely. They just true. don't have the biggest play base. The second thing I want to say about this game is that whenever you look at like franchises, and you know, we talked about Skyward Sword a few minutes ago, that have just such a they're just freaking juggernauts, man. Like Zelda is just a <laughs> juggernaut. Every single game that comes out, regardless of how good it is, it is just a juggernaut and it's gonna sell looking at you call of duty you're garbage every year and you still are the best-selling game every year um but games like that or games not that i'm comparing zelda to call of duty don't want to people think i'm doing that but they are constantly taking the formula and rewriting it and then putting themselves in situations where they they need to do either bigger better or more like they tighten down on what they have more mm -hmm. often than not, companies go for this bigger, better route. And the reason yeah, I bring this up is just recently watching someone play through Twilight Princess and wanting to replay it myself, playing through Skyward Sword, and then seeing Breath of the Wild right on the cusp of the release of Tears of the Kingdom. They opted for this bigger, better, and you could see the things that were just straight up taken right out of each of those games and dropped into Breath of the Wild. Now, obviously, Breath of the Wild is a huge success, and and for all of its pers my personal ideas of its shortcomings, um, but with something like Metroid, they did what people rarely do: is tighten down and just continue just to refine all the actual mechanics that it already has. And what scares me is not Metroid Dread. My biggest fear, my biggest worry when it comes to Metroid Dread is what's next for 2D Metroid? Like, how do you possibly live up to the hype? Because when you tighten down on something like that, no one's going to be, no one's going to go out there and complain about a Metroid Dread 2 or like another game that's like Dread. But how do you innovate that and continue to, to get a very tight game out of it without messing anything up it's a tricky formula and that's really what i'm that, worried about i think that's true um and i'm glad you brought this up because put a pin in this and i think this is something like you know that that sort of um scope creep that happens with sequels mm. is something we're going to return to a couple of times when we go through this list um you could make the argument that metroid dread is a continuation of um 
uh, is it uh, Mercury Games? Mercury Steam? Mercury Steam. Of, of their remake of uh, um, Metroid 2, where mm-hmm. a lot of the ideas that they started to, to work through in that game were refined and expanded into Metroid Dread. It's true. Um, That's a good point. The difference is, I think, just the scale didn't explode in the same way. It's a bigger game, but not colossal, you know? Mm-hmm. It's still a relatively, like, tight, what, eight-hour experience? The first time yeah, through? Eight. when. When you get lost 8,000 times, not speaking from <laughs> personal experience, of course. I'm a professional gamer. <laughs> Max's pro gamer tips. <laughs> Max's pro gamer tips. Shoot shoot things until they die. <laughs> I was waiting for don't play Quest 64, but you know that'll come later. I can. I can't reserve. I, I've only played two hours. Um, but yeah, that's probably going to be a tip at some point. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I have I just have such a love for this game that it it scares me to to think that like there's a potential that like whatever comes next in the 2D Metroid franchise I'll whoever knows how long go or how long that'll be down the road but whatever come next comes next will not have the same love and attention and affection as this does um and what scares me about that is while Mercury Steam has all as my faith undoubtedly or unwavering faith at this point um i'm worried that nintendo may return and be like okay we want to get another 2d metroid on the on the books and then they start looking at ways to either change or add and it you know not saying it won't be great but Mm -hmm. you know i want to look back at metroid dread and think about being the foundational building blocks for not only being fantastic, but that strong foundation like Fusion was for Dread. And as the Metroid remake was for Dread. So yeah. I'm just worried about what's coming next. And I know there's a lot I could say about this game, but like go back and listen to the first episode if you want to hear my thoughts on it, because we we gushed about the, <laughs> this game like there it is. For, for two hours. So yeah. You know, uh, we'll have to wait till 2040 before we find out whether or not that's like, you know, a well-founded <laughs> concern. Um, what I'll say is that the the 2D Metroid games like don't have a lot of missteps. They really don't. Yeah. Like the biggest one arguably is Metroid 2. And that was however many years ago. Um, I, I, I know that's a favorite gets remade a lot which confuses the hell out of me because i think it's by far the weakest entry in the series when we were still trying to figure out even what a metroid game was um yeah and since then like it's a short list of games but they've been banger after banger after banger and it's trending upward i'm excited for what my grandkids will inevitably play (laughs) i uh the only other thing i want to add to that conversation is i am like looking looking forward to like what's coming down the Metroid pipeline. We had talked about there was a statement that um I don't remember who made it, but there was a statement that one of us had made about how we were waiting for Metroid Prime 4 and what we were mm. really waiting for turned out to be this and we were so much better for it. Yeah. So I think there needs absolutely. to be just revisiting that point is there needs to be this like back and forth. I think, I think that we need to experience Metroid from a literal other lens 
to be able to appreciate all of its facets. Because if you start dipping too far into this like first person only Metroid experience, you get first person results. The thing that I, the reason I love Prime so much is if you scale back and look at it from a you know over the shoulder like perspective, you can see a lot of those platforming and those ability driven sure. and met deep metroidvania side scrolling uh roots still embedded in that game and i have to think that's probably one of the reasons that they scrapped whatever prime 4 was going for and they were like this is not metroid enough like it has to be perfect so yeah. here's hoping anyway <laughs> here's hoping <laughs> Well, um, I don't mean to rush us through Metroid, but you know, we've got 10 episodes to cover, and I think that episode two is going to be a beefy one. Let's um, keep it rolling. <laughs> so, um, if you recall, we released episode two, actually was like the fourth episode that we recorded, but we backtracked just based on the release date of uh, the first one released in January, episode two released in February, and that was the ever infamous Elden. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. Was that was it Elden Ring? Was episode two? It was Elden Ring. Oh yeah. Okay, so episode two was Elden Ring. So I want to leading up to this episode and the game actually coming out. Max and I had talked about how we had. Uh, in Max's words, he had pinned all his hopes and dreams on this game. Um, Correct. Yes. A lot of my self-worth is tied up in FromSoft. Um, <laughs> I know that's not healthy. It's not going to stop. <laughs> it's true. Especially with the announcement of Armored Core. So, because Max has been, Max is an Armored Core baby. So, he's been he's been dreaming for this. How, how does it make you feel that, like, this franchise that carried your game for so long is now another, like juggernaut in another game series that you love like that has to feel good that it feels like you were on the right train from the get-go right like you know this this is sort of it's vindicating in a lot of different ways um one like i love the mech genre and i've played a lot of them and armored core has by far been my favorite um it's weirdly very hard to find a game that actually makes you feel like you're piloting something that's very like heavy and loaded with armament and getting that like you know it's it's a power trip for sure um and that sense of weight is something that armored core does particularly well from another angle what i've said is that i really want fromsoft to put the the souls um formula aside for a little bit cuz their most interesting games and what they're working on you know is when they start to step outside of that and sekiro is like this baby like step outside of their regular formula and it was so much more interesting for it so taking everything that they've done this very strong core game philosophy and basically like you know starting just scrapping it and starting over um i think is brave and also shows how much more from soft has in the creative tank so will there be like you know i think the same sort of soulsy kind of mood yeah based on the trailer that we saw i i think that there is still that sort of air of mystery this sense of epic scale um all of that is there but you know now with mechanics there that are different than what's been hard-coded into you for the last you know 10 years so 
I'm really excited about it. Good. Well, so with that being said, um, Elden Ring came out. As you know, Max and I probably both, I'd say the combined, what would you say a combined total is probably well over 300 hours between the two of us. Easily. In this game. In this game. Um, Just in absolute awe of this world and just like everything, the, the exploration, just moving from area to area, enemy to enemy, like it was just, it was freaking breathtaking, man. Like it was just so awesome to experience this game. Like to the point that like Max literally wouldn't even let me talk to him about it until he closed the closed out an ending. Correct. And there's a lot of like really great memories that are just like stuck in that experience for me. And I never ever want to experience it again. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm let me start by saying I'm I'm pretty much in the same boat um and I I was thinking earlier today about what led me to that I'm curious where you're coming at it from cuz I I've got a theory here yeah um so whenever I have played okay let me start over so <laughs> when I think about playing a souls game or Souls, Soulsborne, or Sekiro, or any any game that's like from this developer, or even in the same style. Typically, I don't play non. <laughs> whatever, I'm, I'm moving past that. So when I play these games, the the world that I'm in, I like the linear format better, mm-hmm. and the stories that are told in these games, they have these they all have these like linear progressions in the way that you find things out. And every time you meet these bosses and every time you meet these, these story points and you come up against them, regardless of how many times that you've, you've challenged yourself with these, there's still a challenge. They still will kick your ass into the ground. Um, yes, I've died to pinwheel before, um, <laughs> but they still will beat your butt if you're not careful. And the way that Elden Ring tackled these challenges, for one, this is just one of my gripes, is that you can just climb over that difficulty curve without having to force yourself into any type of real progression in the story or the world itself and just come out being ultra max level and just dominate through the game without really experiencing the game the way that developers really wanted you to and without really any you know benefit to yourself because you're not learning anything you're able to climb over and it was they had to know that sacrifice was going to be something need to be made when you make any game open world we've talked about that before but the biggest problem i had with this game is that i went through every step of this game turning over every rock every corner just every and loving it with all due respect to to Elden Ring and Miyazaki loving every step I took in this game and gawking at every chasm and looking at all the beautiful sights and just really admiring absolutely everything even the bosses that did put me in the dirt but (laughs) when I think back on that experience the only things that I remember really loving 
and like really stick in my brain are those moments when I'm in like Stormvale Castle or the Halleck Tree or those things that are like those pathways to an objective. Sure. They just, the game itself lends, the Souls formula lends itself to that linear objective style play where you're constantly being remet with the challenges that have forced you to get better. And in this game, you're not. You're able to circumvent any of those challenges that force you and challenge you to be better at the game that puts you there. If you die in Dark Souls 1 on your way, oh God, what's it on? Let's say you're run down to pinwheel. You have to overcome that. Like there is there is no way to progress in that game without bettering the way that you play. And this game just does not offer that type of challenge in a it can, but it doesn't offer the challenge in the same way that a Souls game does. Um, that type of exclusivity that you feel whenever you overcome something, um, it you don't get that. And not in a gatekeepy kind of way. Like there's no get good in this game. There's a find a way. And that's okay. I'm not saying that this game isn't allowed to do that. I'm saying for the the type of game that I like, I like to be challenged and I like to have to feel like I want to throw my fucking controller across the room. And I just feel like Elden Ring when revisiting it makes me it makes me feel like I'm a chore and it makes me feel mm-hmm. like I'm about to take on a new labor and I just don't want that. I like revisiting it with friends. I like watching them experience it for the first time because I never would want anyone to take that away from me and I never talk bad about it whenever I'm you know experiencing it like say with Justin I'm going through it I have a good time but I just don't want to do it by myself again you know yeah I, I I'm coming at it from a, a pretty similar perspective as you and let me start by saying that I you know Elden Ring won game of the year and it's well deserved absolutely yes. Absolutely. If we're basing, like, what I consider to be the most successful game of the year is did the game accomplish the vision that it set out to, you know, accomplish? Um, Elden Ring basically delivered on every promise that um, the developers made to us, like, pre-launch, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Open world, Dark Souls. And it is that. It is exactly that. So... The things that you're talking about, about being to, you know, you can climb over the difficulty curve. You don't necessarily have to do all that much bang your head against the wall when it comes to bosses, because there's always another direction you can go in to farm or do whatever. I don't consider those to be limitations of Elden Ring. I consider them to be limitations of the open world genre in general. And I think Elden Ring is basically the best open world game that's ever been made. You know, it it so rewrote the rules about how a lot of these games work um, that, it, it, you know, its its contribution to game design really can't be overstated. But those limitations are still within the form itself, you know? Mm-hmm. When you tell a player they can go anywhere and do anything at the beginning you relinquish a lot of your ability to both tell a story and control their progression. Um, so I'm, I'm absolutely with you that the linear Dark Souls games are always going to be more enjoyable to me um, because there is that intended path and it feels like a more curated experience. Yeah, and I, 
the way I always thought about it and was that in in Dark Souls, like think about watching someone that you know or watching a streamer play a Dark Souls game when they're, mm. they're for their first time. What gets you excited about that? It's watching and comparing the experience that you had in your head while they're going through it and waiting to see them overcome those challenges. You yeah. do not get that in this game unless it is a a boss battle. And even then, at the same point in time, you still don't get that because there's no seeing what level they are. There's no like being able to control that experience like those other games do. Elden Ring lets everyone hit that at its own pace. And like you said, that's okay in the terms of gaming. But for what you and I have grown to love in video games, again, this being our show, um, <laughs> it's just, it is just a little, at least from my perspective, it just, it, it doesn't meet that same level of hype and excitement. And whenever I, I see other people play Elden Ring and they're like, oh my gosh, I beat, I beat Millennial on my third try. And you know, you, you took you three days to beat her. It's like, yeah, well, you know, I beat her pre-patch and this is like, there's just a million things and million excuses and million different things that get in the way of that. And I'm not saying that like, you should you shouldn't be proud that you did that. I'm saying that if if that boss had been in Dark Souls or we're talking about uh, Slave Night Gale, like mm -hmm. I have an idea of how good you are and how awesome and how much better you are than me because you beat Slave Night Gale on your third and fourth try. Because that boss took me forever. Because they're the enemies in that type of game do not lend you to be able to do and play those things like they do in Elden Ring. Anyone can just climb that curve and just be better. You can't do that in these other games. And you, you to an extent. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't even say that, like, you know, what makes me a little bit sad about it is that the thing that this is my personal, like, you know, takeaway from, from Dark Souls games, but like my real joy is finding a boss that really is beating your ass in and having to take the time to really like learn that boss to learn move sets to learn when it's mm -hmm. safe to attack to learn you know there's so much environmental storytelling that goes into it um into these boss fights that they're really like every one of them is a masterpiece and Elden Ring is no exception to that by the way you know it it's the same like amount of love and care that FromSoft has always taken with its boss fights, but there's so many of them, and there's so many opportunities for you to basically, like you said, climb over the difficulty curve and one-shot it, that mm -hmm. it, it's hard to take the time to appreciate how well-crafted these bosses really are. You know? Yeah. The, yeah, you, absolutely. You'll just destroy, like, half of them, like, snack food, and then it's hard to get invested in the world in the same way. Like difficulty is used as a narrative device in a lot of Dark Souls games. You don't have to, like, be told what a badass somebody is. You experience it because they one-shot you, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. And removing that or not having that be implemented in, you know, a consistent way for everybody, it makes the world feel a little bit more toothless than I think... Um, the the Dark Souls series does, uh, or another game which we'll talk about shortly. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just like, I think my, my biggest gripe with this game is I, I, I tell everyone this whenever they ask me now, like, how, how do you feel about Odin Ring? I tell them it is the best game that I'll never play again. Like yeah. it was fucking awesome. And I have, I cannot, I, I will still give this game nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 game. It just, I just don't want to play it again because it's just so, it's just so big. There's so much to experience and it has that same type of like, it's the same reason I never went back and played Breath of the Wild again. There's just, there's too much to mm-hmm. do to to capture that core Zelda experience, to capture that core Dark Souls experience. I would have to put in all these other hours to get back to these areas that made me feel the way, the, the high that I'm I'm chasing the whole time in this game. So I don't want anyone out there to think that like I'm shitting on Elden Ring because I'm not. No, this is definitely, by the way, going to be our grumpiest, oldiest, maniest opinion, <laughs> I think, on this episode. It's like, there's too much game at this point. <laughs> Back in my day, Donkey Kong had a kill screen. <laughs> oh, um, man. Just just to close this out, what I will say, and I, I encourage this on the episode as well, if... Um, Elden Ring was your first entry into um, FromSoft's sort of Dark Soulsy games. Um, I would highly, if if it resonated with you in any way, I would highly, highly recommend going back and playing some of the earlier entries because it's given you the foundations of the language that FromSoft is speaking. You know, yes. there's a lot of early growing pains that you generally have to like scan wikis and stuff to figure out like how does weapon scaling work or what are all these crazy <laughs> attributes that I'm dumping points into all you have all that now um and it's going to make it so much easier to dive into what I personally think is a more cultivated thoughtful experience um like I I would say check them out you'll you'll miss being able to jump I'm sure, but you'll get over it because it's never necessary. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I think that we've covered that masterfully. So um, Elden Ring, ladies and gentlemen, not as good as we said it was going to be. Still a perfect game. Just... I, would, I wouldn't even say that. I'd say like <laughs> it's exactly as good as I thought it was going to be. It's just not what I thought not I wanted wasn't what I... Yeah, not as rememberable. <laughs> Like I, I mean that. I don't mean memorable. I mean rememorable. Like I'm legitimately like there's so much to that fucking game that I just cannot remember because it's so big. Right. And there, I have so much love and appreciation for how they handled so many things. Go back and listen to the episode if you want to know what those are. But just it just it's such a heavy weight on my heart thinking about that game. <laughs> it's a lot. So, it's a lot. So speaking of a lot and a lot to handle and quite frankly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know. What's How would you describe Resident, any Resident Evil game or I should say any Capcom game? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> it, it's, <sighs> it's sort of like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Um, your friend is telling you a joke. It's not a funny joke, and they're telling it poorly, which makes it all the funnier. So you're laughing, and they're 
laughing because they think they're killing it. Um, <laughs> and that's Resident Evil. <laughs> what I just did to Max right there, that is Resident Evil. <laughs> <laughs> it is oh, like... It, 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 like Resident Evil 7 I think is so good because the game never acknowledges it acknowledges how like stupid it is at points like yeah it, inexplicably like Ethan gets his like arm shot off he stables it back together and nobody mentions it ever again <laughs> that's a good bit I don't know if it's an intentionally good bit but it's a good bit and yeah Resident Resident Evil 8 is where I think Capcom is a little bit in on the joke. Um, and that kind of does and doesn't work. Um, there's still, like, insanely stupid shit that happens, and that warms my heart. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> but, like, it, it almost feels like you're laughing with the game as opposed to laughing at it. And that is a, a fundamental difference. Um, I, I think... It, Resident Evil 6 taught them a hard lesson. <laughs> I mean, you think about how serious they tried to make that game. I know. It was just so fucking bad. No, that but they that's had why it's one of the best ones, Michael. <laughs> Stop saying that, Max. I will reach you this fucking camera and strangle <laughs> you. <laughs> I don't think I've had a better like co-op time than with Resident Evil 6. Oh... <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, you're right, though. I mean, it's funny because, like, they did all this crazy, wacky stuff in Resident Evil 7 and, mm -hmm. like, the arm thing and just, just everything in that game was just crazy. But it's fun and it was scary and it was a great experience. But then, like, you get to 8 and they're like, okay, we know it was crazy. We know it was dumb. And now we're going to make it all make sense and you're going to love it. <laughs> and god did they nail it like i i still remember my time with resident evil village very fondly oh and i do too Brittany just recently uh picked up a steam deck and that was one of the first games that she played through she powered through seven and eight and both of them together in like two or three days time mm -hmm. and like loved them both and like Watching her play through a and all of its funniness, but also all of its like its greatness. Like, yeah, there's so much good Resident Evil 8 has to offer on top of how crazy silly it is. Well, yeah, I, mechanically, gameplay wise, it is like absolutely, I think, the most fun Resident Evil to play, you know. Yes. Ethan being a little bit faster, having a little bit more combat options available to him, um, keep situations tense, but never make me feel like I'm completely out of control. And a, a couple of times that happened to me when I was playing through uh, Resident Evil 7 for the first time, where he's a little bit slower, and I get that. Like, you know, that's, that's part of the vibe, but it, it was a little bit frustrating at times in a way that I never found Resident Evil 8. Yeah, um, I, I agree. 100%. I would say... I would say that Resident Evil 7 is an incredibly, like, consistent experience where it sets a mood right from the very beginning and it keeps that mood up through to the very end. Mm. Resident Evil 8 is more of, like, a carnival. It's just, like, 
every <laughs> few hours somebody being like, what about this idea? What if we tried this idea? Like, what if uh, we decided to be the scariest fucking Resident Evil game for like 20 minutes? <laughs> oh my God, Frank, we'll let you put your war fetish in the game. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> no, but hear me out, guys. <laughs> They went for it, and God, they were, they were like, all right, we're going to put this in here. We're going to fucking nail it. Like, yeah. Best part yeah. of the game, hands down. Hands down. I don't care if it was a PT ripoff. Hands down. One of the best things about the game. I so, really couldn't agree more. But, I mean, I... Oh, man. Like, I I think back to, like, pivotal moments in that game, like your first time in the village where, like, you're low on ammo, and, like, you are getting rushed by like werewolves but like in such a tactful way how like meaningfully set up that first scene was where it gives you just the right escape routes and just the right amount of ammo to survive until just that one pivotal moment to where like literally forces you to go out the right door and then you get attacked by like the big hammer guy like it is so masterfully put together mm -hmm. and just thinking back on this game and talking about it again uh, I re-listened to a lot of these episodes over the last few days, and I just, like, we talked about a lot about how we liked the game, but, like, I really don't think we gave this game enough credit for just how, like, wonderfully put together it is and just how fun it is. Like, we, talk, yeah. we talked about how fun it is. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to shortchange us, but, like, it is just so good, and it's still fun to go back to. Like you said, it's so fun to just play, like, mechanically. Like... I had the first time I played through this game, it took me like 16, 17 hours just because I was just having fun with it and just playing sure. the game. Yeah. I beat the game in two hours and 47 minutes on the Shadows, <laughs> Shadow of Rose difficulty, the, the whatever the hardest difficulty is. Right. Doing a speed run of it. Like, that's the type of fun you can have with this game. Just like, whisking by Lady Dimitrescu and slapping her on the ass on the way by and just be like, later, like, just just that kind of, like, dumb shit that the game just, like, absolutely encourages you to be able to do. Yeah, and, and you can tell that just by, like, the amount of unlocks that you get. You know, it's not hard to get a gun with unlimited ammo. That's pretty easy after your first run. It really, the game wants you to go back and, like, have some dumb fun with it which I think yeah. is great. I really do. Yeah. And then the whole idea of dumb fun literally exists in the final chapter of that game with Heisenberg. Like that whole area is just like, one, it's a speedrunner's nightmare, but mm. also like, it is just like, you just imagine like your, your feeling throughout the entirety of that game is like what Heisenberg is just doing the entire time. Just being an absolute ludicrous idiot, having the time of his life. And then he's like, wait, I'm going to die. Fuck. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's a, it's a good time. And I, I, I remember it fondly. And I think we, we did the game justice when we talked about it. So. I'm already thinking, I don't know, I might boot it up again. That game is so fun. It's a good time. <laughs> it's a good time. All right. So what's next on the docket? I think it's one of my my favorite games that we, we cover yeah, on the show. <laughs> you should lead us into this one because you still talk about this game. Max, I just love it. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's... <laughs> Okay, I, I'm a sucker 
if Max has probably learned anything about me in the last couple of months, it's that I'm just like a sucker for artwork. Like mm-hmm. I spend too much money on art. I commission art probably more than I should. I just really fucking like artwork. Like I think it's a great way for anyone to just put love and time into something. And I love experiencing that and seeing other people's visions and me, who's the least artful person in all of humanity, um, (laughs) being able to actually feel like I'm a part of this community is probably my favorite thing about the art community in general. So having, seeing things that like I envision coming to life and it's rare. And the reason I love this game, by the way, I'm talking about death's door here, episode four. Um, the reason I love this game is because I've always had this idea and I didn't talk about this in the episode. Um, but I've always had this idea of like, if I were to make a game, what it would be like Mm -hmm. death's door borders that like so closely. And I think that's why this game resonates with me so hard. I love the art style. I love how masterfully the music was chosen here. I love the puzzles. I love the dumb whimsical humor. I love the sarcasm. I love the stacked level design that almost makes it look like a fucking Mahjong board. Like it just, it's so good. And like every part of this game from top to bottom just whimsically flows into itself and it just is such a seamless experience, even in the post-game content, quote unquote. Um, but like all of it is just fun. It is good and it is interesting and it is replayable and it is satisfying. That's what I like about this game. Like when I put down the controller playing this game, I feel full of like good content. And I still think back on this game. It's been a while since I've played it, but I still think back on it and still just like all the time. Remember like how perfectly everything just flowed and how interesting the combat was and how fun the bosses were and just loved it. Just love this game. (laughs) It's great pacing. It really is the whole way through. Um, You know, all of these environments are so varied and so well thought out. And like you said, there's such a sense of like, you know, this very dry sort of wit underneath all of it that pushes the narrative forward. Um, it was a great like experience. I, um, I'm trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Cause like, if you were a fan of isometric indies, you ate good this year. Um, and I wish that we had had, I hadn't played Tunic at that point, um, and I wish I had had that game as a point of comparison because I think those two games are sort of interesting to to sort of like um, compare against each other in in their sort of a um, approach to narrative or like they're both very clearly Zelda influenced, but they pull different things from them. Um, mm-hmm. Where you know I think the boss battles in Death Store are such a direct translation of a lot of like the early Zelda games where they were like these puzzles um, and the exploration and a little like the the open world kind of feeling in Tunic, I think, is, is something that it draws very heavily from uh, early 2D Zelda. So it. Um, the only, I, I wish that we had had that game just as a point of comparison during our episode, because I think that would be something that you could really do a lot with. Hmm. 
I have not played Tunic yet. I have heard two things about it. One, it's very good. And the other thing I heard about it is that it is for gamers. Like, <laughs> I've heard that that is not a pick-up-and-play game. Like, if you are not familiar with, like, <laughs> how to play a video game, like, you will not handle that game very well. I've heard it's There's difficult. There's a lot of... So... There's a lot of nostalgic experiences um, that I didn't know, like, I had, like, you know, sort of, like, fundamentally ingrained in me that this game brought up. Um, Hmm. I don't know how much of a spoiler this is, but one of the key items that you find throughout the games are pages of the instruction manual for the game. Um, Oh, that's cool. (laughs) And, like, it it looks, it's written in, in like, a, a, like, made-up language, so you can't understand it. You just have to go by, like the the um pictures so there's like mechanics of the game that you can do at the beginning of the, of the game if you know how to pull it off how to pull these moves off but you won't because you don't have the instruction booklet that's awesome that's cool huh um yeah i'm i'm always down to try games like this because like dude De- death's door got me like hard not like yeah. in a sexual way i just mean like it got me like right <laughs> in the heart like and i was like I was like reeling for this game. I played it literally as soon as I finished it. I booted it up and played through it again. Like I had just such a loving time with it. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I can't say enough about this game. Of all the games that we've played in this stint, this 10 episode stint, this is the game I think about the most and want to revisit the most. Now, there are other games in here that I fucking love and adore. And we'll talk about those here in a little bit. But like this one, like just hit me right in the feels, and I just absolutely adore this game. If you have not played Death's Door, and you want to, and you can't afford it, message me in the Discord, and I will <laughs> give away a copy. I everyone needs to play this game. I'm not doing this with any other game that we're talking about. So, <laughs> also only giving one away. So if you're out there listening, I'm not buying everyone is. a copy of this game. <laughs> I was worried about that. <laughs> The first person. Now, I've actually already given a copy of this game away once. I bought it and posted it in the Discord. And I was like, someone buy this or someone play this game. I think Russ got it. So I'm hoping he's playing it because he, he likes his types of games. I, th- I think he'll really enjoy it. It's just a, it's honestly, this is a game that's like hard not to enjoy. Like it's yeah. just got something for everyone. So I think that's absolutely true. It's, it's a people pleaser, you know, it, like I think the difficulty curve is just right. I think by the end, you know, you're, you're, challenged on a lot of the mechanics that you've spent a lot of time learning um and it's just charming it's just a good game yeah well i'm i could just sit and talk about this game all night so we we got to move on though we got we got lots a lot of ground to cover so uh relevant topic of the night moving into the 2018 god of war so obviously at the point in time we're talking about this we are now a couple months out from the actual release of Ragnarok and everyone's had the time to play through that and sit on other than me. I gave up on it. We'll talk about that at another point in time, maybe. Um, But God of War 2018 is where I want to spend time talking about. Um, I went through and I watched a few refreshers for this game because like um, Ragnarok has not left the best taste in my mouth for this particular franchise um mm-hmm. for a couple reasons but this game like remembering like 
like the boat going through the lake and the stories and how innocent Atreus was and then turns into not so innocent and then back to innocent. Like that, like the story arc we talked about, like the Walmart dad moment, like <laughs> all that. Like I remember those like very fondly and I have just a, I have memories of this game that just like entrench me and like the most like serious forms of like combat narrative and I just, I love everything about how this game teaches you and Atreus to like work together. And it felt so smooth and so natural. And that's like really what I took away from like the couple, excuse me, a couple videos that I was able to, to refresh myself on from this game. Um, and man, the Valkyrie queen battle, holy shit. Like that just, that was brutal. Like that, that was like one of the hardest boss battles I've fought in the, the last few years. So yeah, um, I don't know. I just I love the story in this game. I love the depth, and I love I love the how the world felt like it came together much smoother. Even whenever there were other realms that you could travel to, it felt more realized than my current experience with Ragnarok. And I don't want to keep ex comparing it to that because at that point in time we had nothing to compare it to. But just for that type of game, I think I was pleasantly surprised as it was the first entry in the God of War franchise as a whole that I really got to know and didn't care for the other ones very much for obvious reasons that we've already discussed. Mm -hmm. But I remember my time with it very fondly and there's a lot of like really cool moments that really stick out and just seeing someone who has no emotional depth now be like this using his issues to a narrative advantage were just was just such a strong point for that game and i really really like the character of kratos and what they're doing with them and i'm hoping i can power through and get to the good parts and um and ragnarok eventually yeah and and you know i'm sure we'll talk about this at another time you're right um I think God of War Ragnarok is absolutely guilty of that sequel bloat that we were talking about before, um, you know, where there was a very obvious way, I think, to take what had been done in God of War 2018 and make it bigger, blow it up more, add more characters, you know. Um, and in some ways that paid off, in some ways it didn't, you know, I... I like I've said to you, I think the highs of Ragnarok are probably higher than God of War 2018, but the lows are absolutely lower. Um, and in this case, I think 2018, the things that I remember really raving about when we talked about this episode, you know, the fact that it's centered around such a, a clear, simple goal is just get to the top of the mountain that yes. narrative hook is really sort of missing from Ragnarok. Um, and I, I appreciate the first one all the more for it, for, for having like a real draw into um, the world and something that's always pushing you forward. Um, I am, that's like one of my favorite things about the episode that we did is it made me realize how important that was in games. And I look for that like narrative hook every time I play a game now like how how focused can I stay on that uh point in a story and how does it draw me back in and it's just something you you miss a lot 
in games. And like you said, I mean, Ragnarok definitely guilty of. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's less common than you think, uh, really, um, that that a narrative-driven game comes out with a strong, clear goal. It's one of the things that I think Metroid Dread did so well at the beginning of the game, just having your ship as an icon at the top of the map and you're at the bottom and there's nothing in between. Immediately, like, direction is set, goal is set, up. Up is good. Like, and and that basically, you don't realize that it's anchoring your entire experience, but it is. Yeah, 100%. I I think, like, my favorite thing about God of War was, like, hand over fist, just the combat. Like, the combat was just so well done that like that alone is what was carrying my experience with Ragnarok. Um, Mm. And again, not trying to, I don't mean to compare it to Ragnarok, but the reason I'm saying that was because that's what I remember about this game. I remember how combat literally carried me from point to point. Like even in the low points of the first game, I was like, let's get to the next area because I want to like fight shit. I want to like get into these big (laughs) battles and like, the trials where you had to fight enemy after enemy after enemy, like initially annoyed me, but like mm-hmm. near the end of the game, when I would return to those things, I went to do that just to have fun and fight. Like, cause they were just, so, the battles were just so good and the yeah. combo strings you could pull off like this game. Like it, it laid a great foundation for what's to come with this franchise and what Santa Monica is capable of. So just a, just a huge shout out and a huge kudos to, to God of War 2018 because it, it is like one of the best like narrative experiences I've had in the last couple years so I would absolutely agree with that yeah for sure but so there's a uh, God of War any closing statements on that one or are you good to I don't want to I don't want to cut it off too soon I think we all had our God of War fill for <laughs> for a while right now so. yeah <laughs> I'm I'm anxious to get to the next one because Oh, if, I'm sure. <laughs> look, if if Death's Door was your and I think it's fair to say that that's your favorite game that we reviewed this year. Is that is that more or less accurate? I I don't know. I think it's just the one I think about the most. Sure. Man, I had some uh, go on, go on. I I get I get the the point you're trying to make. <laughs> yeah. And it, I I can't say this is a scorching hot take, but I think Sekiro is very good. Um <laughs> And it sort of, I think this bookends sort of the conversation that we started just in, in a recap of Elden Ring because they're, they're sort of inverse experiences of each other where Elden Ring is very, very open and very wide. Sekiro is super focused. And I know we've, mm-hmm. we've talked about this, um, that it limits your customization options. Um, it limits your ability to farm and it's so much better for it, you know? Yeah really forces you to interact with the mechanics that that um and the tool set that it gives you um and as i've gone back through some of the dark souls games um and as i've I've been thinking a lot about my experience with elden ring you know i think this is sort of like my ideal souls experience you know i want one weapon that everything's designed around um and I want to fight bosses that like challenge me to to really master a small set of skills. Yeah, I mean that's that's a 
that is Sekiro. Like that, that is yeah. in a nutshell. And I I have never had a gaming experience do the two things that Sekiro was able to do. One, make me want to kill myself. <laughs> and two, make me feel more powerful and more alive than I've ever felt in my life. Like it and there's just there's such a strong like polar opposites of feelings there but like god i cannot remember how many times like when i was fighting genichiro like i was just like i'm never gonna beat this i am just never throw down the controller stand up for my computer walk away like go fucking punch a door like i was so upset about just like the prospect of just never being able to overcome this and just like the constant reminders and the constant things i would see people say and especially you like Take a break, come back to it, learn your lessons, try again. Mm-hmm. And and eventually you just you start to climb the wall slowly and you start to just get a little further and a little further and a little further every time. And like when you finally down that enemy and just like get the kill, and it is just so fucking gratifying. Cause like you said, there is no, we talked about this before, I know, but like there is no cheesing these bosses. There is no just every single enemy in this game is designed to beat your ass into the ground until you know your enemy. Like mm-hmm. they're your own. And I think that we, I think we talked about this when we did the Sekiro episode, but like what sticks in my mind the most thinking back about this game, obviously like there's fights and stuff that I love the most, but like it was when you and I were talking about the owl fight and like how that enemy knows you. And how yeah. you get that like narrative uh, connection to Owl, and how like a lot of what you can do is what he can do because he trained you, and he like he's your father, and that's just so fucking awesome. Like <laughs> you don't get that in video games like ever. Like it's it's just so cool. So the reason I hesitated whenever you said is this is Death Door like your favorite game we talked about on this list, and it's not because. It's not because I, I'm having trouble with it. It's because, like, this game, I also think about this game often, and I think about the experience I had with it, not as holistically as Death Door, because, like, I can't think of, like, soundtracks from Sekiro that I, like, really, really sure. jived with. But it's but it's not because they were bad. It's just because, like, everything in that game was designed for, like, a flow and to to drive you forward in that moment. But... I will never not remember. I, I mean, I can think of, remember countless times with every boss. I remember so many deaths. I remember so many like victories because I played through the I've played through the game twice now. I didn't tell you, but I played it again. Um, <laughs> but like, and it's cool because like these skills are like riding a bike. Like you forget yeah. it a little bit and you fall over a few times, but then like you get back into that rhythm and like you just you don't get that in these these other games like the way you get it with. Sekiro. That's exactly what I was going to say is that like these bosses are so good they're now a part of my my like muscle memory, you know? And like every once in a while I'll I'll re-download Sekiro, you know, pull up a boss and I like the fact that you're able to just do that from a list. That was a one of the few like yes. That I didn't think this game was ever going to get DLC and then it got like a boss rush mode. <laughs> um and just see what I remember and it, you sink back into it so quickly, you know, just because that first brutal playthrough 
that first ass beating just never leaves you. <laughs> God, dude, it's just, I will like, it is forever etched. I'm surprised it's not burned into my monitor screen, like jumping the little uh, jump down the mountainside down into the, the Guardian Apes arena. Like I will never forget that. Like, <laughs> and the, like the turnaround and the roar and like just the, uh, oh my God, like it's just so fucking brutal. And like, I, I like how like not, there's so many enemies in that game that could just be bosses in their own rights, and they're just fucking around. Like, the yep. headless. Like, fuck those guys. Like, those guys are fucking assholes. There's so many in those of those in that game that I never beat, that I never will beat, and I'm not subjecting myself to that torture. <laughs> and quite frankly, I don't even think they're meant to be beat. Like, they're just meant to be inconveniences. So, like, I, I don't know. Just things like that, that, like, enemies like that, that are just more avoidable for the sake of you know just getting what you need and getting out like make the world feel alive makes the world yeah. like very realistic and i love that from my souls like experiences not that i think that Sekiro is a souls game we talked about that before too but like mm -hmm. ultimately like thinking back like on previous conversations and where we're at now like this game also has that like one singular goal and it's also really prevalent but like every time that you match up with any any enemy in this game can just fucking murder you like any one of them if you're not paying attention and it that just that's just so cool to I love that about this game um I don't remember if I talked about this in the the episode or not but it's something that like really sticks with me about this game when I was playing through it the first time and you and I may have talked about this when I was playing through it the first time I was I was talk to people and they'd be like, "Oh, you didn't use the firecrackers. You didn't use this. You didn't use that." Like I didn't use any anything my right. first playthrough, and I thought I was proud of that. But then I realized that this game—that's the next logical step in this game—is fancying up your styles and using the game. The game wants you to get good with the sword and beat the game that way, and then it wants you to come back and be like. All right, now, now that now you've we can mastered get a little bit fancy. This, yeah, now go through and see what types of new strategies you can employ to make your playstyle better and faster and more unique. And I go and watch these like speedrunners and stuff, and I'm just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like these people are just like whipping all over the place, and there's fans and fire and fucking shields coming out of nowhere. And I'm just like, just better, better people than I. Kudos to you out there. So, yeah. That's a really good point that I think you're right. Like you aren't meant to rely on any of these uh, tools that it gives you. It, they're just there to slightly augment your play. You know, um, you're always going to have to be a katana main. That's just, that's what it's going to be. But your secondary weapons can, you know, give, give you an edge that you wouldn't normally. And it's entirely possible to ignore them but way more interesting if you fuck around with them a little bit and just see what you can come up with. Mm -hmm. A great example of that was in the last section before you can go and fight Genichiro and Sword Saint, where you come down into like where everything is on fire. You come down into like that pathway and you fight like one of the five five knives or whatever they're called. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, the broken spears? 
Yeah, and there's two of them down there. There's like him and there's mm-hmm. one other guy that's down there. I had such a fucking bitch of a time trying to kill those guys to get that last like pair of bead or whatever that guy had. And then I realized it was like, oh, I have other tools. I can make myself quieter. I can sneak down there with using these other tools. And like it literally wasn't until that point in the game that I used anything that I picked up. Right. Like at all. So, and then I was like, oh my God, I can make myself stronger. Like I can do more posture damage. Like what the fuck? What have I been doing this whole game? But like, I'm glad I didn't because I like, it really forced me to get better at the game because of what if I had run out or something in yeah. the middle of a fight or something like that. So just how I, I have a ton of respect for what Sekiro has done and I wish more people would give it the chance. And I wrote it off for three years thinking I would never be good enough to beat this game and God damn it, I did it, and I am proud of it. It is literally my proudest gaming moment. So it was it was awesome just to ride shotgun as you went through that game. It really was. Cause I think what you had was the same sort of experience that I had going through it, which was like, you know, resignation about this is too fucking hard. I'm not getting it. I'm doing something wrong. And slowly building up that that sense of mastery over it and when everything clicks and things just start to like glide you know it's it's my favorite sort of like personal progression in a video game where it really feels like where i started and where i ended were fundamentally different you know yeah i agree it's it is a it is an entirely unique video game experience i could mm-hmm. relate so many things to other games and i could relate game after game to even dark souls games to something i could relate you know death's door to like you said tons of other isometric indies and things like that just a comparison sekiro is a master class in its own genre and i yeah. wish there were more games out there like this that could capture that exclusive one-on-one battling that Sekiro gives you like there, there's just no nothing out there like this. Maybe Wo Long can help us capture that. Maybe the new Armored Core can because it's they said it's going to be a lot of Sekiro. They said more Sekiro battles than Dark Souls battles, which I'm very excited for. Um, I'm fine with that. Of, yeah, I don't. Did you not heard that? No, I had not. Yeah, they That's... said they they intend their boss battles to be much more like Sekiro than anything else. So that okay. sets you sets you up for more like one on one. It's probably what they mean. That's like can absolutely destroy you if you're not careful, and if you're good enough, you can absolutely dominate them. And that's what I love about Sekiro is that you absolutely feel that when you die, you are the fucking problem. And that's what's so humiliating about this game. And I think it's what turns so <laughs> many people off to it is they hate being forced to deal with their emotions and their problems. Like. And that's why the same reason people don't like Last of Us 2, because you're just too big of a bitch to handle it. So, um, (laughs) hot take coming in. (laughs) But anyway, like, Sekiro's awesome. (laughs) Sekiro's incredible. And Ishin, I think, is the absolute best boss fight that FromSoft has ever produced. I said that on the episode, and I stand by it. It is just unbelievably good. Yes. Are you talking about Sword Saint in the, the normal ending? I'm talking about Sword Saint in the normal ending. The other Ishin is yeah. great too, and I like that one a lot. 
but the sword <laughs> saint is such like a trial and like oh I mean, my god i know dude. <laughs> i'm like sweating thinking about it i was so frustrated he pulls a surprise glock out of nowhere that somehow like <laughs> fires automatically it's awesome it's so dumb and it's great <laughs> oh my gosh like this the i will never i know i said it on the episode we talked about it like i had just the most epic fucking finish to that battle and i will just never forget that like it was already such a trial like multiple days on end just fighting mm -hmm. this guy and getting to that phase and just getting literally struck down by lightning because the reverse lightning was just something i never had done and just nailing it for the victory was just so goddamn awesome like it is <laughs> uh, how it is like i said it's like my proudest gaming moment accomplishing that and at the peak of that entire moment was that move and it is just so fucking cool so i don't know i'm just now i'm all giddy again thinking about this game and i'm gonna go play it god dang it <laughs> <laughs> anyway secura is great go play it um <laughs> and then moving on down the down the list here um i want to take a minute and talk about this game again so Shadow of the Colossus is a game <laughs> that we covered on this show. Good start. Yep. I think, No lies detected. <laughs> I think in the course of my life, I have probably played through this game. I don't, I don't even know. Five, six times. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those games that like, it's so much of the experience is wrapped up in the world that it's told in that like it's kind of hard to think back about playing this game fondly because i've got a lot of fucking problems with the way this game plays it's janky as hell it's fucking weird to control like every part of it it's just kind of samey in like the actual mechanics of the game but like sure. It, this the reason I want I bring this up because it's such a testament to the game's story and the world that it builds. Whenever you can have all these flaws, and I think this is really just a problem with like Team Ico in general, but like you can have all these flaws in your game and still be considered like a masterclass classic gaming experience that everyone has to hit. Yeah, I. It's something that I I don't think we touched on all that much in the episode where we gave a recap of how this game ends. Um, but for me personally, the ending was so weird and so out of left field and not the kind of story that I think at the time I realized you could tell with a video game, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was deeply cryptic and open to interpretation. And, you know, I, I thought about it for like a couple days afterward, just, you know, just, dead-eyed, I don't know, in social studies class or whatever, thinking about... I, I turned into a baby yesterday. I'm not really... I'm not in a good place. Um, but I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about it as, a, as an example of, you know, video games as a legitimate form of art. And even, you know, in, in the stupidest, like, you know, comic book level... Um, story i think there's artwork to be found in any video game but mm -hmm. this made that so clear just by how unconventional and how 
unwilling it was to explain itself um, or to talk down to it to its audience. You know, a lot of that game is what you brought to it is is um, I don't know. It was unique at the time and inspired a ton of shit that you and I both love, including the Dark Souls franchise. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that you just hit on something that like really resonates with me that we didn't talk about in the episode. It was like like you said this game it talks down to its audience, but at the same time it like builds up its audience in a way that like no one expected it to. Because the way this game presents itself is it's very it's very forceful in its objective. It tells you exactly what to do. It tells you exactly where to go. And it tells you all but exactly how to accomplish each and every goal. Mm -hmm. But that is not what this game is trying to accomplish. And you don't even realize that you're picking that up with it. Like you said, when you finish this game and that, God, I still don't fucking understand the ending of this game. But like you finish it and you feel so weird and it feels out of place and it feels like I don't understand what's going on or what story is being told here. But I think at the end of the day with something like this is like your journey is more important than the outcome and the, your, your reasons and ha you reflect on not just the outcome of what's actually happening, but the journey and the things that you learn to get there and the time it takes to reflect on what you're doing from point A to point B and the toll that it can take on you mentally, physically, things like that, all those little things that we talked about in the course of the episode that far and away have resonated into other forms of video games, regardless of what genre you're in, is so crucial. I mean, think of something like Last of Us. Would that type of storytelling be relevant without the influences of storytelling in Shadow of the Colossus where the emotional impacts and the implications of your actions and the subtle changes are so strongly relevant? Like think about the first time you played through that story mm -hmm. and like when it ended, you thinking about the journey you just took. Like right now we, we think about it as a complete past experience that we're very fond of, but think about that first time. Like... Stuff like that wouldn't be possible without the type of art and the type of journey that you're able to reflect on in a game like Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And it's 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 hard to try to rewind the clock a little bit and think mm -hmm. about, you know, how much I think this brain this game rewired my brain. Um, it was the first video game that I remember playing that at, at the end of the day interrogated like, okay, we gave you this goal and you went through and you accomplished it. Um, did you ever question why? Did you ever think about what you were doing? Or were you just going from point A to point B because we told you to? You know, mm -hmm. it. a lot of, that's not uncommon now in, in uh, games, this sort of postmodern, like speaking directly to the person on the other side of the screen. But this is the first one I played that really, like, made me have to sit with that for a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Can't be overstated how good it is. Um, yeah. I'll, just, I'll reiterate, just, this game plays like trash. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to, like, hit you, like, stop your point dead there. But, like, I say that because, like, there's just such a strong juxtaposition between the experience you have while physically playing the game and the experience you have while being in the game. 
Like, yeah, it's just so interesting to see how something that like I had, so, I was so frustrated trying to like get my horse to like go over like a, a fucking stone that was on the ground that you could clearly walk over. But then at the same time, be like so like blatantly hit over the head with something so powerful, and then the message this game purveys. So, it, this really I cool. think is the problem with being ahead of its time. I think you know, hardware limitations absolutely make themselves apparent. But it's a little bit hard, I think, to 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 separate that kind of jankiness from the intended floppiness of the character that you're controlling, where Wander is absolutely like bitch to control and i think part of that is intentional um and whether or not i agree with that like you know as an idea to you know what let's make it a little bit frustrating like we're gonna make this game good but i don't want people having a good time with it (laughs) um yeah i don't know how good how solid of an idea that is but i do believe that there is like a little bit of the intended experience there yeah for sure and I think part of it is because Wander fights in, like, sandals, which, come on, man. If you're going to be fighting a giant colossus, close-toed. Close-toed. True. Yeah, what if he steps on your foot? God forbid. That's it. That's it. You're done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, I know I said that, like, the most relevant thing we could talk about would be, like, in terms of, like, releases would be God of War. But moving on to probably the most relevant <laughs> uh, episode that we have to talk about to date. Uh, Max, we are at the point in time of recording two episodes deep into HBO's The Last of Us series. Um, mm-hmm. I want to try my hardest to not talk about the show. It's very good if you played the game and you're swearing off t- TV adaptations of video games. One, you have every right to do so. Been fair and, enough. <laughs> and two, please give this a shot. And that's all I'm going to say about the show. Mm-hmm. But on to the episode. Max, we talked about The Last of Us for three and a half hours when we had this episode. <laughs> it was our longest episode to date. It was probably our most emotionally taxing episode to date. Like thinking about like whenever we recorded that episode and like the emotional roller coaster I was on talking about the experiences that Joel and Ellie had and how they grow on each other and how just the, the other characters like Tess and, you know, Robert and this top to bottom, this game just like rips your heart out in so many ways and puts it back in so peacefully and then just forgets to rewire it. Right. And then you just like (laughs) are left of an emotional fucking devastated mess. Like at so many points, it's just, it's just such a, such a strong experience and i i don't i don't really even know how much time we have to spend talking about this because we did a great job but god like if you if you haven't played this game and you're out there like trudging through this episode fucking play this game for fuck's sake <laughs> but at bare this minimum game- watch the show because this is like one of the best stories ever told it's yeah the- something that I'm not sure we hit on explicitly is how good the the naturalistic sort of dialogue is in The Last of Us. Mm. Um, and it almost ruins a lot of other games where like 
one character says one line, another character says another line, and you go back and forth in this kind of like very neat sort of, I speak in complete sentences, you speak in complete mm -hmm. sentences, and we'll just talk back and forth at each other with this same bullshit camera that'll just cut from me <laughs> to you to me, and then at the end, like, I don't know, I'll start Look a, at a you, side. Bethesda. Fucking. <laughs> and The Last of Us never does that. The Last of Us is so good about capturing how people actually talk to one another because it's not like that people shout over each other or ignore each other or cut them off in the middle of a thought um it uh, it it feels so much more immersive and like these are actual real people um when those sort of interactions feel authentic um and not stilted you know there's there's no conversations about like well if you give me 20 boar hides, I can give you like three bullets or whatever. <laughs> yeah, does, I mean, that's that's a really good point. It just does so much to to make you forget that you're playing a video game when the people in it talk like people. And I think it makes it much easier for, the, you know, the voice actors and things, too, where they get to do something that feels a little bit more natural than... Yeah, the the genuinely kind of stilted dialogue that video games have. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's probably one of the reasons that they were able to, you know, pull so many good people in for this was because when you have something that feels more natural, you don't have to stick to the script strictly, you know, yeah. because you, the characters get this vibe for what's happening and they're able to just talk freely about the situation with the knowledge their character would have. And I think it translated beautifully to to the medium. And you know, I'm thinking back to like even like mid combat dialogue, and it's just it's so perfectly done. One of the things that I was because uh, I've recently refinished playing this game because uh, we didn't record this episode not that or that long ago. Finished up the the remake was I just absolutely adore the idea of the cordyceps virus like it is so <laughs> it is so intelligent and i don't i don't mean that in a way that like oh i think fungus is cool and like takes it for ants i think the idea of how this was implemented in the game was just so perfect because you play this game and this is something like i'm noticing in the tv show the the TV show is telling like the story of the virus and the evolution of its implications and things like that. And I brought this up to Brittany when we were watching this episode last night was the game never had to do this because the game is telling a story about these people. And when you adapt things to TV, you have to make some concessions. You have to do things differently. I get that. But in the game, you don't need to know these things to understand mm -hmm. anything. They don't have to go so far. And like that, that reserved storytelling, it's like, it just has like the, the slightest hints of like how world building mechanics and like Souls games, things like that. And I know Druckmann is a fan of that type of storytelling. He's talked about it before. So I have to imagine that there are influences that they had pulled to make things like this and just subtly leaving out the idea of all these things. And then having it make its appearance and just like little blips, like when you're you actually are in these facilities and you're reading these these documents or you're talking to these doctors or these things like at, at the very end of the game. So like you get those little glimpses, 
but that's it. Like, and then it tells you the entire story just in these small segments. And a lot of people don't realize it because they are able to experience it and comprehend it. But think about all the incomprehensible bullshit you've heard in video games. And mm -hmm. like, that's never well presented. There is a ton of work that goes into making these things as coherent as they are with a small amount of data. And it just, it cannot be overstated how important it is to give credit where credit's due in these aspects. And I have such a high respect for The Last of Us for that. Agreed. Yeah. It takes you out of the experience, right? When you can clearly identify, like, this is expository dialogue. These characters aren't talking to each other. This is one person explaining something to me, the player, you know? Yeah. Like, Looking at you, Control. It, <laughs> fucking. I got some thoughts on Control. <laughs> We've never covered it here, and there's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, characters don't find themselves explaining how the world works to one another because they are all living in it already. You can <laughs> right. pick up based on how they talk to one another how how the thing like how uh, the world works, but it's never stated explicitly. It makes it a big big difference. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I love this game. I love this world. I love the story. I love Joel. I love Ellie. And I like just being in a world where there is no good and evil. It is survival. And I think that that's also something that's like always understated in games, or I should say overstated in the sense of what's right and what's wrong you know you look at like something that's that's just so black and white like a zelda game you are mm -hmm. the good character and there's evil and you must stop the evil and not to say those games aren't great but like in a story where you and we talked about this a little bit in the episode but you joel are not a good person Right. You, Joel, do bad things for reasons you perceive as good. That is your opinion. That is your situation. And, like, the game just, like, you deal with that eventually in, in The Last of Us 2, and it forces you to deal with that. Again, probably why people can't stomach the second game. <laughs> but the in the first game, like, being able to swallow that, being that, like, shithead of a human being, but also still the protagonist and you making some of those decisions without getting into spoilers, but like it just, man, it really drives the experience home. It really, really puts an emotional beating on you. And it's just, it's the last of us is one of the best gaming experiences of all time. And it just is, and it will continue to be. Yeah, no, no, no argument from me. It's something that we touched on. You know, one of the things that I think makes The Last of Us 2 so difficult is that it very explicitly asks you to sympathize with the antagonist of the game. Um, and that's a large hurdle for people to jump through without realizing that that's what you did in The Last of Us. Yes, that is such a good fucking way to put that. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> read it and weep, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. I, I had this conversation just a couple of days ago with a friend of mine who has not beat the game yet. So I'm, I just keep telling him, just just get through 
I mean, you think you think that I was thrilled about what happened? Fuck no. I hated it when it happened. And then I hated everything that came after it. But like, just, I don't want to talk about it too much because I'm hoping we can cover it one day on the show. But I would like that. Speaking of so, morally gray areas, <laughs> the Ocarina yes. of Time. <laughs> I'm trying to find the draw the comparison there. Wait, more. There isn't. Area. It's the fact that you you specifically brought up Zelda games as the antithesis of that. <laughs> oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, Ocarina of Time is great. Um, yep. It is. It it was according to the to IGN. Uh, it was beat by Skyward Sword as one of the best Zelda games of all time, uh, but. <laughs> Wrong, IGN. <laughs> this is why no one respects gaming journalism anymore. One of the many reasons. Um, anyway, yeah, so I still, like, we covered, <laughs> this is the one I, I figured we would have a hard time getting through um, as far as a retrospective on this game because just the way we covered this game was a, such a drastic change from how we cover episodes on the show if you didn't listen to that we drew uh comparisons from the game and talked about it, its influence on modern gaming as we saw it and it was a great conversation i had a I've, i remember it very well it was a lot of fun but i think one of the best things about this game that like now that we're revisiting it was i remember a lot when i think about ocarina of time one of the things that i think about the most is all the shit that you could do in this game that like just wasn't necessary. And it just made the experience so much more full and sure. like the timed racing and like just the, the hours I spent in some fucking fishing hole in the corner of Lake Hillia, like just stuff like that. That I just remember like and the spider family, the Sculptula family, they got cursed. Like I still regret never finishing that story arc. Like, you know, those people are literally still hanging in there, fucking spiders, just because I'm too lazy to go do their fucking side quests. So, well, maybe they shouldn't have done... I literally can't remember what their crime was, but I'm sure they deserved it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, but, I mean, just just little things like that in games that, like, I think make the experience a little bit more full, and they're not overdone. They don't tell you where to go all the time, so that's nice. They don't, Link doesn't talk like, oh, maybe I should bend down and pick up this branch, this DQ branch. That would probably make for a good fire stick later. Like, none of that crap. It's just you, the player in this point in time when this game came out, had to come to all those logical conclusions by themselves. And that wasn't like a staple of Ocarina of Time. That's just something I've grown to appreciate in games you know, just the natural environmental storytelling leading you to logical conclusions that the game rewards you for. And Ocarina of Time is, like, chocked full of that. Yeah. Um, when I think about Ocarina, like, I think the thing that resonates with me the most is in the early hours of playing this for the first time, uh, desperately trying to make it through the Deku Tree because... I rented it and had to return it in a couple of days. <laughs> um, and, like, I only really had glimpses at what the rest of this game was, you know, from the back of the box where it seemed like I'm an older dude somehow or, like, this giant open field that I hadn't seen yet. Like, 
I, I really was rushing through what felt like a very big game just in, in Kokiri Village at the beginning um, because the world seemed infinitely large. Um, that that the majority of the game that like was laid out ahead of me felt so much bigger than I could really like process. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that sense of awe, I think, really has stuck with me. And there have been modern games that come close to that. But, you know, it, I was a kid. That was the first, like, fundamental time feeling that of, like, this is, this will be gigantic. Um, it's funny that you can get a sense of how unique it is just from the very beginning of it. Um and you know what? Quest 64 doesn't do that. <laughs> you would know. <laughs> I'm telling it doesn't give you that sense of mastery right from the beginning. You're just talking to a priest at the very beginning in a tiny room and you have no fucking idea how big the world is. You got no ch- like no chance at even guessing at that. I really hate this for you. Look at like I feel, look how visibly upset and stressed out you are even talking about this game. Like just stop. <laughs> it's because I know I'm gonna beat it, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I think one of the re- the things about Zelda and Ocarina of Time that like really stick with me, and I know that this is like other people have this for other games and experience as well before Ocarina of Time. But like for me, one of the reasons this game sticks out is this is like one of the first like associative games that I can remember in memory. Like mm-hmm. I remember this game not for like the songs on the Ocarina, but like I can close my eyes and like I hear the sound that it plays whenever you walk into the Hyrule field. I yeah. hear the sound that plays when you're trying to like scale up the river to get into Zora's domain. I can hear the sound like whenever you're down in the freaking fire mountain into the, the Don- not the Dongo, but the, uh, the Goron mountain, like this is little sounds and noises that like bring that whole world to life. And they sound like they're right in your face. And there's just no way to, to recapture that for the first time. Mm-hmm. If it like and nowadays I do it in patches, then I do it in changes and stuff like that. But like you don't, you didn't get that back then. And like they nailed the experience from the get go. And like that's just such a, this is something that doesn't happen anymore. You know, I've, I still haven't fucking played Pl- Callisto Protocol yet because I'm waiting on some fucking PC patches that for, for a month and a half now. <laughs> so like games like this that capture that magic and then never get the chance to correct themselves but never have to fucking change my mind that is just masterclass and mm-hmm. it is just persisted as one of the best games of all time it is on every top 10 list out there and there's a fucking reason for it it's just so good yeah Absolutely. don't think we need to say much else <laughs> no i don't think so either and it's funny like everybody has a different opinion about what your personal favorite Zelda game is, but nobody's going to argue that Ocarina is just fundamental, you know, to the experience. Like, yeah, for sure. All you got to say about that one. Well, uh, it has been a month since we released this last episode, so we probably don't have a ton to say on this one either. I think Arkham Asylum sucks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, Max, <laughs> you've been playing too much Quest 64. No one cares about your opinion. <laughs> Where is all the RPG elements in Arkham Asylum? That's all I'm going to say. 
All right, Russ. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was Pokemon. Um, so I just, this is just one of those games that, like, I know, like, whenever we recorded, Kevin Conroy just passed away, and it was mm-hmm. just a, a massive hit to, like, any Batman fan out there, really, and really, like, voice acting communities as a whole, and just, I don't know. Batman community as a whole just take took a huge hit. Um, so like once again, mad respect to Kevin Conroy. Rest in peace. Um, I loved that Mark Hamill came out and said he likely will never return to the role of the Joker out of respect to Kevin Conroy. That is so cool. Um, also yeah. sad, very sad, but very cool at the same time. Those two are really good friends. So I, I think it makes sense. They played off each other so well, and I don't think that dynamic would really... But there have been other good Batman voice actors, absolutely, but nobody does it like like Kevin, and and Mark Hamill is equally as good in his role. It just... It would feel so weird <laughs> to, to see him yeah. paired up with anybody else. Yeah, and I, I think that, like, what's cool about this game is that like this is the definitive Batman experience with the definitive especially now that like these voice actors are putting these roles behind them when they Mm -hmm. can and we don't have one of them anymore and looking back at this this is like the definitive experience for the stories that these people are known for and Arkham Asylum has like such a special special place and one in the gaming community, but to like just with me in general in my heart because of that, like the work and effort that these two put in making this game come to life again, the voice acting from other people was incredible too, but like these two sealed the deal for this and like, it will never get any better as far as superhero games as a whole, I think, but also like Batman than this experience. And sure. There'll be, there may down the road be like better boss battles and you know games with less Batmobile and things like that. Hopefully that may may come out, but like this is this will be the blueprint. Kind of like we're talking about the Metroid. This will be the blueprint for everything moving forward. And if it isn't, then it's not going to be good because you have to take into account like how how much love and respect for the Batman world, for the voice actors, for the actors and for the writers that was just poured into this game. So yeah. just a just a mad kudos. It was a proof of concept and I think we talked about this in the episode. It you know, it really showed I think for the first time that um a careful consideration of who the character was and what their intended experience is. Um that can translate to a video game and you can give people that experience, you know? There's a yeah. reason that the line "it makes you feel like Batman" was done to death, un- unfortunately. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it it really was like the first time that, like, rather than trying to fit a pre-existing character into like a video game sort of mold, you know, before this, like, Batman had done like collectathons or like side scrollers <laughs> or shit like that, and that's not that's not him. You know, this kind of like elegant combat system paired with the the weirdly like in-depth stealth 
elements just just nailed the intended experience um yeah I, I i you nailed it like um just such a love letter to um the this character like just unbelievably good yeah on I don't really have much else to say on this game. I mean, one, it's very fresh. Two, like my opinions of this have not changed at all. But like the I've already said what I've came here to say is that this like the appreciation moving forward that this game should receive. I'm not saying that they won't receive it, but and I'm not implying that no one's paying it due respect, but I think that this game has to be considered if you are touching the Batman IP moving forward please look back at this game and mm-hmm. look at the love and respect that they had for Batman and the characters, the villains, the story, and just make it realistic, make it believable, make it fun, make it interesting. Like this game had any good adjective out there. There's a portion of this game that could be attributed to it. And it's just such a, it's such a masterclass and storytelling and just video gaming in general. Yeah, Absolutely. So, so yeah, that was our year in review. How are you feeling? You, you get all your feelings off your chest, Max? I think I did. I've got more to say about <laughs> Quest 64, but I'm going to save that for a very angry letter that I write to myself. <laughs> That's um, fair, because I'm not fucking covering that game on the show because I refuse to play it again. <laughs> uh, you know, going back through this, I think, you know, just just taking this year doing this podcast as a whole, one of the things that I'm most grateful for is that it's given me a really solid foundation for how to appreciate, you know, not just video games, but almost, I think, any sort of work of art. Um, and that's trying really hard to suss out what the intent of the work is and then trying to assess how well it accomplishes that goal. Um, that's a great point. Really that's been a really universal rule that's been really helpful to me, you know, when looking at other things like, you know, books, movies. Um it, it's just, it's given me a framework that's been really useful and I hope will be useful to other people. Um, and, and having conversations like this and sussing it out and basically like laying out, you know, element by element, just taking one subject and really going through it as in depth as possible, I think is a worthwhile thing to do. You know, it's, it's the equivalent of the bang your head against a a wall and, Sekiro in those boss fights of just immersing yourself and really sitting down and concentrating very hard on one thing can give you a bigger Mm -hmm. appreciation for it. Um, And, you know, I I consider video games to be a fundamental hobby to me, but it's pretty easy to blow through a game, go, yeah, I liked it, never think about it again. Um, I might have done that with some of the games on this list if we hadn't taken the time and really gone through it, you know? Stuff, stuff like Death's Door that I ran through really quickly, now that's a fundamental experience for me just because of how much you and I have talked about it. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to be able to do this with you, and I'm looking forward to another year. Yeah, I've that's one, thank you, and I, this sentiment is returned tenfold. It's been absolutely 
wonderful to get pushed into <laughs> games that I never would have played without that extra push, finish games that I never would have finished without that extra push. And maybe one day I can get you to play <laughs> Finish Horizon so we can just at least talk about the story. Um, but no, I mean, it's been it's been really cool to learn about these games because one thing that I've always wanted was someone to like talk it out with. And the reason I think that just generally speaking, Max and I have become really good friends is, and the reason we did this show was because we would just get in these long drawn out conversations about these games that like I, me personally, again, I'm not saying that like anyone out there that's friends with me, I'm, this is not an insult to you, but like they've, never have we re reached the depths of conversation that Max and I have had about these games. And one, that might just be because Max and I are the two biggest losers that either of us have ever met, but also Absolutely like, true. We, we, <laughs> we, we share so many opinions that like it got worrisome that we may be <laughs> sli slipped versions of like alternate realities of each other. Luckily we found enough differences as of late that have made, made that theory less, uh, less credible, but, the point still stands, but it has been an absolute like honor and a pleasure to like dig into these things because I've learned not only what you've said a little bit ago about how this isn't, you know, appreciating the intent, but to like up until this past couple of years, I've obviously always loved playing video games, but like I told Brittany this, I've told a few of my friends this over the past few years, video games are my favorite form of art. And mm -hmm. as I said at the beginning of the show, this episode was that I've just been like getting really into art lately. I don't just mean, you know, cool pictures that I find. I just mean like intentful design. Yeah. Intentional design in anything is just artistic and interesting to me. And this video games, especially the, you know, the 10 that we've covered today just have just are a masterclass in its own right in so many different ways and it is just a pleasure to be able to have the opportunity and the experience to sit down and just discuss those with someone who's like-minded and open-minded as I am to be able to, you know, see all those things from those different avenues and then put it out there in the world with people who are able to listen, want to listen, and then give us that interaction. It's just a, it's a blessing through and through. So thank you, Max, and thank you, listeners. It's been it's been absolutely awesome. So like you said, here's to another year and hopefully, you know, people don't just delete this off their feet after this episode because we dunked on Elden Ring. <laughs> to be fair, I would. <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> but uh, no, I, it's been awesome. And, you know, this, this year has been absolutely stuffed with games and 2023 is going to be even better on the horizon. There's just so much shit coming out. So... Yeah, I think I think you and I both know the first first episode we're doing for 2023. I'm not going to give it away here yet, but I think we're going to hit 2023 with the on the ground running, and I think it's going to be a just a fucking banger of a year for yeah. us. So we've talked about how that format is going to be pretty different than everything we've done up until this point, and I'm excited. I think that's going to be cool. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a good time. So, um. So yeah, that kind of wraps up like the discussion portion of the episode. Um, anything, any final words, anything else you want to hit on in relation to closing out the the uh, the retrospect? 
I think you did a great job already, but I just want to see if there's anything else that came to mind. No, I think that's pretty much, you know, it's looking back over this list, it's fun to see how varied it is, you know, like sure, there are yeah. elements that absolutely create sort of a narrative thread between all of them. There's things that you and I both appreciate a lot and like those are common elements in each game. Um, but it's a pretty varied list overall, you know, we hit a lot of different genres, a lot of different play styles, a lot of varying difficulties and things. And I'm excited for that to continue and for us to like keep looking for stuff that just seems interesting and and new. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, for what comes next. For sure. Well, speaking of what's coming next, uh, we've got a lot of stuff in the pipeline, you know, not to get into the, the, the boring part of the show for people to just tune out or skip forward, but we've got some cool stuff in relation to post-game content in the pipeline. We're trying some uh, some new media avenues, as you may be experiencing now. Uh, we've got some ideas for you know potential future streams coming down the line, but uh, no promises because we want to test everything and make sure we're able to do it. We want to be sensitive to everyone's time. Who knows what the future holds? Um, so we'll just stay committed to our monthly episode release and apologize for this one being so late, but life happens and you have to deal with that um but we're we're committed to getting episodes out at least once a month maybe more maybe less so um we'll see what we'll see what happens on that front so um yeah so i know um there's been some like ideas and format changes and things like that but uh quite honestly like i think the best part about this show is that the show is fundamentally rooted in the conversations that Max would have and just our private Discord chats or, you know, nights where we're just sitting up talking about and bullshitting about games. And that's ultimately what we want the episodes uh, just to stay as is just that type of just core conversational flow. So, you know, we're not going to do anything crazy. We're not looking to, to spice things up and change drastically change everything. Um, we, we want we want it to stay exactly how it is. And I feel like we've had a great success doing that. So um, nothing too crazy on the shakeups. We'll announce more when we know more and when we have more to tell you. Um, but in the meantime, just like, thank you guys for an awesome year. Like it's been, it's been cool to like, not only do all this with Max, but like, see that there are people out there listening i know that i mentioned earlier the number of hours that people were into this like just think about that like logically if that was on like one person's shoulders that's like <laughs> so much time so much time and it's just so cool to see people like not only listening but agreeing and disagreeing and discussing like it's just really cool so if you if you want to be a part of that just join the discord the links in below um it's just been really cool to to see that type of interaction and to get a lot out of that. So, and I think it's every day, like there's just a new con conversation that sparks, whether it's, it's in our discord, our other shows like super Nintendo bros, which is uh, Nintendo oriented where they have conversations kind of similar to this, not as in depth, but um, still very good. Uh, mm -hmm. And then video game mythos talking about uh, other like video games, backstories, things like that. And even in the other shows all the way down to like uh, D and D kind of just that type of interaction and the conversation, the fun humanistic, you know, not scripted conversation is just what's important about not only this show, but also like all the shows on the 13 palm trees banner. So if you like what you hear here, check some of those other things out, like cost you nothing and you might end up finding a new show that you really like. So um, all that to say is we just like really, really appreciate the interaction and the engagement so far. It's been really cool. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope this didn't put you off of, you know, continuing for another year. <laughs> we'll see. We'll watch the episode numbers and see if it drops <laughs> drops on the number of hours and compare. If not, then uh, I, bl- I blame Max playing Quest 64 if that happens. <laughs> yeah, I can't even really disagree with that. <laughs> Uh, if you are out there and you like what you're hearing, um, you know, we have a lot of other content, like I mentioned, other shows. If you want more of this content, uh, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash 13 palm trees. Don't ever feel obligated to give. There's some free stuff on there too. So if you want to go in there and poke around, we have like outtakes, early access, uh, merchandise, uh, sticker of the month club, like all kinds of crazy weird shit that we do on there. But the core of everything that we do is always always is and always will be the free content that we put out there for everyone because that's what the show is based in and that's never going to go away you'll never find our the core portion of our conversations locked beyond paywalls that just that kind of bullshit was established right at the get-go of this show that that would just never happen for um, sure so we we're staying true to that commitment and even though we're part of something larger that doesn't mean that we can't just keep producing stuff uh and you can take that commitment with uh, with all the you can take that as an actual commitment because I'm the owner of the fucking company that produces this shit so <laughs> if anyone tries to change that I'm just going to get rid of them <laughs> so um, but that being said if you feel obligated to support us financially awesome if not your listens you telling your friends things like that goes such a long way thank you for everyone that's left a review on the show a five star reviews we have 108 five star reviews on iTunes alone, let alone the other platforms we're able to see. It's just fucking crazy. It is, this is like our newest show outside of Super Nintendo Bros, but it is the fastest growing show and the most reviewed show that we've ever had. And that is just so fucking cool to see. Thank you so much to everyone who's, who's done that for us. So, uh, I think that like wraps up most of it. Um, oh, I do want to give a shout out here to somebody in that's a listener to the show. I want to give a shout out to Daniel because one, he helps edit the show and that's fucking cool. But like, if you're out there and you listen to the show on these different avenues, you might not see that we have dedicated cover art to every single episode that we put out. Oh yeah. And you can see them on the Podbean page. You can see them in the discord. And if you go to the website, you can see them there too, but they're just so fucking good. And Daniel does those for us and they're just, they're magical. Like huge shout out to Daniel and his abilities on those. Cause those are just, they're so fucking awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, if you want to support him and check Daniel out, you can find him on YouTube at P- the uh, Party B. He just recently rebranded and does gaming videos, um, just all ki- types of funny videos, story videos, horror videos as a specialty. They're all great, very well produced. He is just a master editor. Like it is just so, it's just good content. Go check it out and leave him a subscribe as he's continuing to grow. I'm nearing 3,000 subscribers now. So that's fantastic growth over the course of the last year. So really appreciate the work that he puts into his uh, projects and also ours as well. It's a it's a testament to his abilities and his dedication to his craft. So yeah, most definitely. But I think that like I think that wraps it up. So um, Max, thanks for doing this with me for a whole year. I'm surprised you could withstand my annoying ass. So I appreciate that. And um, here's to another good one. Yeah. Yeah. So until until next time. Everyone take it easy and fuck you, Roger.